Thanks, Ryan. So we all know that goals without action lead nowhere. Goals without action lead nowhere. Tomorrow is December 1st, which means a month from now, a lot of people will be thinking about what are the resolutions, what are the changes that I am going to make for a new year? What am I going to do differently in 2018? And maybe some of you right now are thinking, yeah, what were those things I said for 2017 and to have those happened? Well, if they were goals that had a plan of action, they probably have. But if they weren't, they've probably gone nowhere. For instance, if you say, hey, I want to get in better shape. Great plan, great goal. But is there a plan of action along with that? Because getting in better shape doesn't just magically happen. Have you guys all noticed that? And as you get older, it doesn't get any easier. If I want to get in better shape, it doesn't come with, well, this is the workout I'm going to do, or this is the trainer I'm going to see, or this is the gym that I'm going to go to. It's not going to lead anywhere. Or, hey, I want to eat better. Well, if there's no plan, if there's no action along with that, you're going to keep going through the drive-thru like you do right now, eating the same old stuff. That's not very good for you. Goals without action lead no, nowhere. Well, I would think for everybody coming to a marriage ministry on Thursday nights, one goal you would all have is to have a strong marriage. I think if I took a poll here, we would get 100%. I want to have a strong marriage. And you want this for a variety of reasons. You want this for yourself. <laughs> you want a healthy marriage because you know that that will be a great source of peace and joy in your life. So you want to have a strong marriage. You know, maybe you're even motivated somewhat. And this isn't a bad motivation to have a strong marriage for the sake of your kids. So that your kids might be able to grow up with that healthy, stable household. Hopefully some of you, you want that strong marriage for the Lord. And that you want your marriage to be the reflection of the gospel that it's supposed to be. You all want a strong marriage. But goals without action lead nowhere. So what, what, what's the action you can take to have a strong marriage? Now with marriage, how are you going to get there? Marriage is a little tricky because there's some things that are outside of your control as an individual. Or maybe to be a little more specific, there is someone that is outside of your control as a spouse. And that is your husband or your wife. You cannot control what they do. And that can make this whole strong marriage thing pretty difficult sometimes. But you know what? God knows that. And that's why when we open up the Bible, God is very specific. And he's going to say, husbands, let me tell you what you should do to be the godly husband that I want you to be, to make that marriage strong. And then God's going to talk very clearly to wives. And he's going to say, wives, this is what I want you to do for your marriage to be strong, for your marriage to be healthy. And that is what we're going to focus on tonight is the role of the wife. Ladies, I know you all want a strong marriage. Well, God has said, this is what I want you to do about it. I want you to focus on this. So let's take our Bibles and let's open up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Very straightforward, talking to the wives here. Let me go ahead and read that for us. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's a pretty powerful comparison. Saying, 
Ladies, submit to your husbands just like you are submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at your husband and the direction he's giving to you and put that right up there with the direction that the Lord Jesus Christ would give to you. Well, in case you haven't noticed, ladies, there's a slight difference between the Lord Jesus Christ and your husband. I was expecting a louder amen at that point. But there is a slight difference. So how are you going to do that? How in the world could you possibly submit to your husband like you were doing it to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this is the key that you need to realize is you have to, if you want to do this correctly, if you want to be the godly wife that God has called you to be, you have to look past your husband and see the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we're doing this year, we want to highlight that the centrality of Christ in all of our life. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation that everything else is built upon. And and ladies, if you want to be a godly wife, it's very much going to be connected to your relationship with Jesus Christ. When you think of Jesus Christ, who is he to you? And that's what we really want to think about tonight. And I'm going to give you four things to think through as we think about your husband. Because your husband is imperfect. And that's a generous description of your husbands, myself included. Because some of you, even in this room, some of you have husbands that aren't saved. How are you going to submit to that husband as you would to Christ when he's not even a Christian? Some of you, your husband might fall anywhere then on a spectrum of being a baby Christian to being a mature Christian, a strong Christian. Well, even if your husband is the strongest Christian in the room, guess what? As his wife, you still get the closest most personal, most front row seat to all the sin that's still in his life. You're going to have a better view of that than anybody else. How are you going to submit to that husband like you would to Christ? Well, you've got to look past your husband and see Christ. And what are you going to see when you see Christ? You're going to see four things. And the first of those things has to do with when we think about the role of the wife. And that's that word there in verse 22, wives submit to your own husband's. Wives, place yourself under the leadership, under the authority of your own husbands. Now, we're not going to talk about that very long because that's not a controversial topic at all, is it? That, I mean, that's a topic that if you go out to the culture and say, yeah, wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, you know, the culture is going to say, amen, preach it, hallelujah. Not so much. Not even close. They're not going to say that at all. But it's clear. The Bible is very clear on that subject. But some of you, who have maybe done some homework on this passage before might say, well, Pastor Ben, did you know that in the Greek language, the word submit isn't even in verse 22? Dun, dun, dun. That actually, yes, if you were to read the Greek New Testament back up to verse 21, it would say, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your own husbands. But so yeah, wives are supposed to submit to their own husbands, but Pastor Ben, just as everybody's submitting to everyone. okay. But if you look at verse 24, wives submit to their husbands in everything. Well, the word submit is there. And if you go to the other two passages in the New Testament that talk most specifically to wives, that's going to be Colossians chapter 3 and 1 Peter chapter 3. Guess what word is in both of those passages? Submit. And if you look at all the passages in the New Testament that talk to husbands specifically about what their role in marriage is supposed to be, guess what word you're never going to see? Submit. The Bible is very, very clear on this. There's no way to kind of weasel around this. The Bible is saying, wives, submit to 
your own husbands. Now, people have misinterpreted this in so many ways. People have used this truth to diminish the value and the role of a wife, and that is not right. Some have, especially our culture, well, they bristle at this idea, any notion of male headship, whether that's in the home and the role of the husband or whether that's at a a church and what the Bible says about the the leadership at the church, why you're not going to see any uh, women pastors here at Compass Bible Church because of what the Bible teaches. That's not popular with our culture. I want to put one verse up on the screen for you, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Think about this, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, we don't have enough time to fully get into this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, and there's some confusing things uh, about it, but I just want us to take a couple things from this, where it says the head of Christ is God. We're talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and says God is his head. Well, is Jesus, is the Son any less than the Father? Is the Son not equal to the Father? No, the Son is equal to the Father. The Son is not inferior to the Father. But it says the head of Christ is God. And Scripture shows us that Christ clearly put himself under the direction and under the leadership of God the Father. So wives, if you're going to look past your husband and see Christ, the first thing you need to see is you need to see Christ as your ultimate example. See Christ as your ultimate example. And one thing I would hope this would help you to see is the nobility of your role as a wife and even of your call to submit. This idea of placing yourself under the authority of someone else, it was not beneath the Lord Jesus Christ to do that. It wasn't beneath the Son of God to do that. It's not beneath you, then. This role as a wife should not be some bitter pill you have to swallow, but a glorious design that God has laid out for you to fulfill, just like it was the design of the Son to fulfill that role. And again, this is something that flies in the face of our culture, and there's some serious cultural headwinds coming at us on this. But what I want us to realize is that, you know what the bigger problem than the culture is when it comes to following Christ's example in this? It's not the culture. It's you. It's your own heart. It's your own flesh. It's your own selfishness. That's what makes it hard to follow the example of Christ in this. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. If you're there in Ephesians, just flip a couple pages over to the right. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Saying one thing every Christian is going to have to fight is selfishness. And selfishness is going to be one of the biggest roadblocks to you being a godly wife and following the direction of your husband, putting yourself under his authority. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And how, why should you do this? Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
and even going above and beyond that, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. God is calling you as a wife to lay down your desires for someone else, for the sake of your husband. And just as a side, guys, what is God calling you to do? Love your wives like Christ loved the church. So you're going to be battling your selfishness too. But ladies, he wants you to look at Christ and see his perfect example, that he gave up his place in heaven. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. And even equality can be a buzzword and a misunderstood concept where we as Christians should affirm that women are absolutely equal in their value and their dignity and their rights before God. But we live in a culture that doesn't understand that equality doesn't mean that there can't be also distinctions or submission. Just as Jesus was equal in glory with the Father, but submitted himself to the Father and laid aside his own desires and his own comfort to serve us. And as you think through your marriage and what's keeping your marriage from being as strong as you would want it to be, before you think about anything that your husband is doing, ladies, I would challenge you, say, how is my selfishness affecting this marriage? And how much of this tension or trouble could I resolve? Or how could I make my marriage better by being more selfless to my husband? And what you will find is that it will be worth it. The sacrifices you make will be worth it because they will build into a healthy marriage that you will reap the benefits of. But not only will it be worth it here in this life, it will be worth it in the end. It will be worth it because your example, Jesus Christ, he's also your rewarder. He, he's also the one that's telling you to do this. And how can he be your rewarder, the one that's going to reward you for what you're doing? Well, because he is your authority. And then we saw that in Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Even that title for Christ, the Lord. It, he is the master. He is in charge. So second thing you need to see when you look at Christ is see Christ as your ultimate authority. See Christ as your ultimate authority. We don't take the authority of Christ seriously enough. I mean, probably not too many of you own those old Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. Remember when those were a thing? Not many of you might have one of those in your closet, but too many of us end up taking that mindset where we take the mindset of Jesus, he's all right. He's cool. Well, let, let's turn to Revelation chapter one and, and let's get a biblical picture of who Jesus is. And as you're turning there, I want you to think if you have any siblings. You have siblings. And I want you to flash back to what it was like growing up with your siblings. I've got two older brothers. Some of you might know them. They're both pastors up at our church plant up in Huntington Beach. But despite what you might believe of, you know, three guys growing up and all going into ministry, we did not always behave as kids. And there were times that it turned into conflict between us. And it would turn into a fight. And words would start flying. And sometimes fists would start flying. And things would get physical. And we'd be going at it. And about that time, into the room would walk my dad, Bruce Blakey. Now, my dad, he was a big, strong guy. He was an athlete growing up. He's six foot five. And he has this booming, commanding 
voice. And here we were kids going at it, and into the room would walk my dad, and he would say, what's going on in here? And instantly, the fighting stopped, and we would retreat. And what would we do? <laughs> and we would say, well, he did this, and he did this, and, and, and whatever. And yeah, those excuses didn't really fly with my dad. They didn't really cut it. Well, I want you to think about this description of Christ that the apostle John sees, says he hears a loud voice like a trumpet, and then he turns, look at verse 12, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. It says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a, in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That is what John sees when he sees Christ. If you think the description of my dad sounding, sounded intimidating, wait until you stand before Christ. And he looks at you with those eyes like a flame of fire. How do you think your excuses are going to fly then? When you say, well, God, I know you told me to submit to my husband, but I really didn't do that because he never made date night a priority. He never invested in the relationship like I wanted him to. He wasn't sensitive enough. He didn't listen. Or God, you, you don't understand the temper that my husband had and, and how he would get angry. Or God, you weren't there when he made all these bad financial decisions and, and how much pain that caused our family. No, none of those words are gonna come out of your mouth on that day when you stand before your ultimate authority. And every one of us, and again, husbands too, need to realize this, that we are gonna stand before God. And one of the main things he's gonna hold us accountable, one of the main things in your life is your marriage. That's gonna be at the top of the list when he's saying, did you do what I told you to do? And we will be accountable to him and our excuses won't get anywhere. Are you ready for that day? Are you living, are you looking past your husband lady, to see Christ, to see your authority, to see the one that you're going to stand before, and be motivated not just by the, the fear of him, which is a good thing, but also by the reward that he promises. And even how he looks at John and says, fear not, I am the first and the last. I'm the one he encourages him. And, and many of you wives on that day, what you are going to hear from that voice, like the sound of many waters, is well done. And that authority, he knows some of the trouble that you've gone through. He, he knows the failures of your husband. And how much more do you think that's going to cause him to reward you and reward your faith in that day when even despite the, the failures of your spouse, you said, God, I knew you were my authority. And, and I did what you said in those moments. Because I want you to think about even when your spouse is imperfect, even when they don't do what God's calling them to do. Wives, when 
you do what God's calling you to do. When you submit to your husband as to the Lord, what is that saying that you believe about Christ? As we think about that, I want us to turn to 1 Peter 3. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3, another one of the main passages that talks to wives in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 3. How can you submit to your husband even when it's just not making sense? And what's the connection between you and Christ there? It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some don't obey the word, or saying even if some aren't believers, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Well, how in the world is that gonna happen? How can you do that? Well, he gives an example towards the end of that passage. In verse five, when he says, for this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And the example he gives is, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. That's the key. Ladies, you've got to not be afraid of the things that can frighten you when you think, well, what if my husband doesn't do this or, or this? Because you've got to look past your husband and see Christ and see Christ as your ultimate protector and provider. See Christ as your ultimate protector and provider. And that's the next point there, and that's what, traditionally, that's what women are often looking to their husband for. M- most cases, the, the man is going to be the one, even physically, that is stronger, that's able to protect the wife. And thankfully, in our culture, the, you don't have to physically do that as much. There's not invading warriors and all these different things, ransacking Eliso Viejo every day. Um, thank God for that. But hu- husband is to be the protector, and, and the husband is uh, leading the way in making provision. And, and this is linked with that accountability that God's expecting you to, hey, w- what are those excuses that you would have? And God is going to look at you and say, yeah, I know that your husband was not perfect and that he was not always there for you like he should have been. But then that's when God's going to look at you and say, but I was. He's going to look at you and say, I never left you. I never forsook you. And let's just think about Sarah for an instance and all the things that she submitted to Abraham on and followed his lead on. Abraham, honey, we're moving. Great, where? I don't know. Why? God told me. What? Put yourself in Sarah's shoes right there. We're leaving, we're leaving everything we know because he's had a vision from God and we don't even know where we're going. But she went with him. Think about, hey, honey, tell him you're my sister (laughs) because I don't want to get killed. But she went along with what her husband told her to do. And even in that moment where then the Egyptians come in and and take her because they think she's a beautiful woman, God steps in and God protects Sarah, even when her husband hadn't, when her husband took the easy way out for him. God stepped in and even supernaturally, sovereignly protected anything from happening between her and the Egyptians. Honey, we're going to have a baby, Abraham says. Sarah, uh, uh, yeah, right. I'm old. But God comes in, he provides. Or my favorite, honey, I need to take Isaac on a little trip. We're going to have some father-son time. Oh, what are you guys going to do? I'm going to sacrifice him. Can you imagine that conversation? 
And the Bible doesn't tell us about it, so we kind of have to use our sanctified imagination a little bit, but it's in the Bible, so it's not like this was some secret thing. It came out of, the cat came out of the bag at some point, maybe even if it was after the fact. Can you imagine, Sarah, you did what? You were going to do what with our son that we waited so long for? Are you crazy, Abraham? But you know what? She looked to God as her ultimate protector and provider. And you know what God did? He protected. He provided. Nothing happened to Isaac. He provided the ram. Now, some of those were acts of faith that Abraham was doing. When God called him to go out to a foreign country, when God called him to sacrifice his son. And ladies, there's going to be times where God calls your husband to take a step of faith that you're going to look at and you're going to say, this isn't adding up to me. This doesn't make sense to me. This is risky to me. And that's when you've got to look past your husband and say, but you know what? God's going to protect us. God's going to provide for us. And if my husband is really doing this to honor Christ, God's going to provide. And, and you know, some of these things, when he's saying, hey, Sarah, lie, tell him, well, she wasn't totally lie, tell him you're my sister. That was a boneheaded move. That was not Abraham's finest hour. And you know what else, ladies? There's going to be times when your husband take bold steps of faith. There's going to be times when they make boneheaded moves. There's probably plenty of those times. But you know how many boneheaded moves God's going to make in your life? Zero. And you've got to look at him and realize, even when my husband fails in his leadership of our family, God will never fail me. God will never fail us. And just look at this next verse up on the screen, Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Ladies, do you consider God faithful? Are you aware of his promises? Even as you, I hope, faithfully spend time in God's word, whether that's doing the daily Bible reading and your, your own personal Bible study, are you constantly noticing all the ways that God is always faithful to his people, all the ways he protects his people, all the way he provides for his people? Are you aware of the promises that he makes to you in scripture? And do you trust him as faithful and are you depending on him? Ladies, how's your prayer life? When you're concerned about something your husband might be doing, does that drive you to pray and to pour that out to God? Because you know that he will never, ever fail you. That, that's where you need to be. And that's where some of those basics of the Christian life are really going to connect to this, that you would see Christ as your ultimate protector and provider. A couple things that are inherently involved with what you would expect of as a husband. But as you think then about what else is expected of a husband, and you think about what does the Bible say in Ephesians 5, what's the one word it keeps repeating to the husband? It says, husbands love your wife. That's what your husband is called to do. That's what we talked about last month when we talked about, hey, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Let's think about that. Well, again, your husband is not going to do that perfectly. What happens when that love, when the love of your husband fails? Again, you have to look past your husband and see Christ and see Christ as your ultimate lover. See Christ as your ultimate lover. And God tells husbands, love your wives. He knows what he's doing there because he knows that that's something that your wife is going to crave. That love is something that your wife is going to desire. But even good things in life that we're sometimes tempted to idolize and make that the ultimate, to, to make the husband's love the ultimate, to make that 
my idol, to make that what I am depending on. If you are idolizing your husband's love, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Because like every other idol, it will fail to deliver perfectly and consistently. And if you set your hopes on that, again, ultimately, that's going to have all kinds of painful consequences in your marriage. It's going to lead you to all kinds of frustration when everything you're depending on is all coming from your husband's love. It's going to lead to anger. It's going to lead to venting towards other people. And in some cases, that's what even leads to infidelity because then you start seeking that love somewhere else. And the problem there is when we think of ourselves as a cup that constantly needs to be filled. When it's like saying, I need love from somebody else, in this case, my husband, to come and fill me up, or I'm not going to be whole. Where God wants his thinking, and Jesus wants his thinking, no, if you're in Christ, you're not a cup that constantly needs to be filled. You are a cup that is overflowing. Last passage I want us to turn to, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, where Jesus is talking to this woman at the well. And he eventually is pretty clear about what this woman's problem is. She's, he's like, when, remember when he says, go call your husband? And she's like, uh, yeah, about that. And he's like, you're not going to go call your husband because you've had five husbands, and now you're not married and you're living with somebody. And she's like, can I change the subject? Uh, but before he gets to that point, when he points on what this woman's need is, which clearly she's looking for some kind of love, what he's talking to her about is living water. And Jesus is saying, I can provide that for you. And if you look at what he says in verse 13, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And if you're a Christian, you have an endless spring of water gushing up within your soul. You shouldn't be in a position where, I mean, I, I need someone else's love to come and fill me up or I'm going to be incomplete. No, I, I'm complete in Christ. And then, yes, I should have that love that, to come and to add above and beyond that, add to the overflow of that. And central, if we read all of John, we would see how much he talks about the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, John 3, 16, or 1 John 3, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. That John is constantly talking about the love that God shows to us and saying that love and the life that we have in Christ, we should be overflowing, not constantly needing. So you got to see Christ as your ultimate example, your ultimate authority, your ultimate protector and provider, and your ultimate lover. And ultimately, you have to see Christ as supreme. You have to see him as ultimate. At the end of that story, the woman at the well, the Samaritans come to Jesus and they admit, we know, in verse 42, this is indeed the savior of the world. They come to that point. And then in verse 43, I won't get into all of it, but the context flips. Jesus goes back to Galilee where he's saying nobody really appreciates Jesus in Galilee. And they come up to him saying, hey, Jesus, I need you to come fix this. Hey, Jesus, I need you to come fix this. And he says in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And ultimately, ladies, I want to end with this thought. How do you view Christ? Is he a means to an end where it's, 
hey, Jesus, come fix my marriage. Is that the mindset that you're taking? Because that will never work. Jesus cannot be a means to an end. Jesus is the end. He is the beginning. He is the cornerstone. And so what are you going to be like tonight? The Samaritans who came and said, you are the savior of the world. You are the ultimate and providing everything that we need. Or are you going to come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, help me fix my marriage? Which one is it going to be? Jesus is a means to an end or Jesus as the ultimate? Let's pray together. God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. We thank you for his love and his provision and his protection. And God, we worship him as the authority and even just think of who he is right now and the fact that he is coming back and that he will reign forevermore. And God, I pray for the wives specifically in this room. And God, I ask that you would help them to look past just their, their husbands and to see Christ. And that tomorrow morning when they wake up, they'd be motivated by his example, his authority, all that he promises to them. God, that they would be able to fulfill the role that you've outlined for them. God, and I pray for the husbands as well, that they would love their wives like Christ loves the church. And God, as we break up into our groups now, God, may these be helpful discussions. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight's message was clearly focused on the wife, but if you look at the discussion questions, they will clearly be things that can be discussed by all of us and we've all got something to learn tonight. So let's divide and conquer and break up into our small groups.